there in California or Texas or Oklahoma, wherever you're at and watching today, I just want to say thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, I know we've got people on vacation today, and, and they're out and about, and, um, and there's no condemnation for that. All of you deserve vacation, no matter what your boss says. You deserve vacation. Go on vacation at some point, but if you go on vacation, just watch online while you're gone, okay? And Jesus will be happy if you watch online while you're gone. That'll be okay. Um, but no, seriously, I'm so glad you're here today, and, uh, and I hope you've had a great weekend so far. Um, let me get to a couple things before we jump into our message today. I'm excited about uh, an email I got from, uh, from some people that, that we help with normally, the, this, the Back to School Bash here in Indiana County. How many of you are familiar with the Back to School Bash here in Indiana? Um, this is something we've helped with for years. We've been a, an important part of that. And I got an email from one of the coordinators of that event, and he just said, hey, you guys have been such a big part in the past. Here are some things we really need help with. Is there any way you can help us with that? And I said, absolutely, we want to help with that. So our team, we, we got together and we talked through what do we want to do to help. And I'm excited about what God is going to do through our church to help impact uh, this community. And God already does so much, but uh, this is one of those things that, that we aren't going to get credit for it. Nobody's going to put a big sign up that said, hey, this came from the Summit Church, or we couldn't have done it without the Summit Church. This is just us saying, hey, we're going to invest in our community, and we don't necessarily need any of the credit for it. We just want to help people who need it in our community. And so there is going to be a list on our website of the different items we need. There's also gonna be a list, I believe it's out in the info kiosk today or info center today. If you stop by there, you can see some of the items we need. And typically in the past, the church has bought a, a significant portion of some of those items. And, and I don't mind the church helping with some of those things. But I want to give you an opportunity to be a part of that. Because if we just say, hey, we're going to do this, it's from the Summit Church, that's fine. It's kind of like when uh, my wife buys somebody a gift and I put my name on the card. I'm like, yeah, I'm, that was me too. We, we bought that gift together. And I'm like, what did we get them? And like, that's right. I hope you enjoy your sweater, right? <laughs> you contributed to it, but we want to give you an opportunity to be an actual hands-on participant in this event. And so one of the ways you can do that is by picking up one of those lists and prayerfully considering what can I help with? How can I support uh, this outreach? And if, there, if you can help with one item, one school supply, uh, that'll, be a, uh, that'll be enough. And we'll say thank you for that. But maybe you look at that and go, you know what? Um, I, I, can buy, I can buy 25 packs of crayons for kids. I can do that. Or maybe you say, hey, I can help with clothes or different things that are going to be on that list. And so I want you to take a look at that. Now, this is the thing. I don't want you just to take that list and buy it and bring it back to the church. What we're going to do over here on my right, your left, we're going to begin a pile of stuff. We're going to have a mountain of stuff on our stage so that it's, it's been a few weeks since I cried, so it's, I'm due, okay? So we're going to have a mountain of stuff on our stage. It's going to be a visual reminder of what we're doing and what God is doing through this church to impact our community. We're going to have a, a pile of stuff. Every week it's going to build. There's going to be more and more. And when you bring your stuff in, you're going to have your Walmart sack or whatever it is. You're going to bring it up and just dump it out. It doesn't have to be neat and tidy because uh, we don't do church that way. We are not neat or tidy most of the times. So we're just going to pile the stuff over here on the side. And I want you to bring it and pile it up. And we're going to see that. And we're going to be able to celebrate when it's time for us to take it over there and give it to those people that this is what God is doing. So I want you to, to go to Walmart this week, take your list and pray about what am I, I going to pick up? How is our family going to contribute to that and help? Because we want you to be a part. Uh, we're going to make an impact in our community. We want to give you an opportunity to be a part of that. Um, <clears throat> so that's my biggest thing. Um, also, we are continuing our series in Philippians this week. That's right. I'm going to the music stand. What of it? 
Uh, we're continuing our series in Philippians this week. Maybe you've been in and out because of vacation or different things like that. There is no condemnation at all. I'm glad that you've had some time for vacation, but we want you to stay caught up on what uh, we're going through and what we're talking about in the book of Philippians. Uh, if you haven't uh, been a part, the book of Philippians was written by Paul in prison to the church of Philippi. There was a church that was doing well, but he didn't want them to settle. He didn't want them to stop doing well. He said, it's not enough that you're doing well. I want you to continue to grow in love for each other. I want you to continue to grow in love for God. And as you do, you're going to change the world. And this, that's my annotated nutshell version. But this is what I'm going to do today. I want to read through the entire passage that we're going to cover. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time on a specific particular part of it. So We'll pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and this is what it says. <clears throat> Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. You've quoted this verse to your kids a couple times, haven't you? Do all things without quote, grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be found, I may be found that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now he gets to this portion of scripture, and remember this is a personal letter he is writing to this church. He has a personal relationship with them, and you can see uh, that we talked about at week one how, how deep the devotion is and how deep the relationships are, and he really goes into that a little bit here because it's, it's, there's not a lot of um, meaty scripture here that you can go, oh, this is what God is speaking to me from this, but it really illustrates the kind of relationship Paul had with the church at Philippi. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy's with me now, but I'm sending him to you so that, so that I can uh, encourage you, but then I can hear back what's going on with you as well. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And Timothy was a pastor, and I love that about him. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And he says he's, he's like a spiritual son. And this is an illustration. As Christians, we need to be raising up spiritual sons and daughters. It's not just about our relationship with Christ, but it needs to be who are we raising up for the next generation? Who are we empowering? Who are we helping become leaders so that they can help raise up sons and daughters in, in Christ? Does that make sense? And this is a great picture of that. And this is what he's saying he is. And he says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, because again, he's in prison. He might not make it out of this thing alive, so he's saying it depends on how it goes. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And this is a statement of faith. He's saying, I'm praying that I will be released and be able to visit you. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death, but God has mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He said, man, if he would have died while I was in prison, it would have been even worse for me. And he said, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him 
in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Paul really finishes this passage, and he, he's just, it's really personal, and he just conveys his love, and he's saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send Timothy, and I would love to send Epaphroditus because they have a relationship there. And it, it, really, it really speaks to the depth of the relationship. And I say this all the time to our staff, but everything we do as a church revolves and hinges on relationship. If we don't have relationships, then nothing else works. Uh, we have to have relationship with, with the people in the church. We have to have relationship one with another because if we don't, nothing else works right. It all begins to break down. And so Paul is emphasizing this. Hey, it is all about relationship here. Well, let me go back. We're going to spend the bulk of our time from verses 12 to 18. If you can go back up there, and I'm also going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5 just a little bit. If you want to put your thumb in your Bible there, you can. Or if you don't have a Bible that you've got a pad or a tablet or a phone or whatever, you don't put your thumb in anything. You'll just search it in a minute, I guess. Whatever, whatever you need to do for your device. How about that? Um, this is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Let me read it again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And let me stop there. Um, how many of you know it's one thing for your kids to obey you when you are standing in the room with them? And it's another thing for them to obey you when they are not in the room with you, right? It's easy for me to say, Abby, I need you to, whatever it is, if I'm standing there, she will do it. But it's another thing for me to go, hey, Abby, I need you to clean your room. And I walk away, and I'm sorry, I'm talking about you. And two hours later, I come back, and I'm like, what's your room? Your room's not clean. Which is, I know, I was reading. And how can you punish a child for reading? Like, I feel bad, but hey, I'm going to punish. You're grounded from all of your books. No more learning for you, Missy, right? Um, so she'll get back to it. Why? Because I'm standing there. I'm going, hey, why don't you do what you're supposed to be doing? And we're all like that. Have you ever noticed when your boss is out of the office? or how diligent you are, doesn't it feel a little different in your office? Because it's like, oh, and it's not that you're not going to do your work, but it's just like there's a different air. And Paul is saying, hey, the same diligence that you are serving God with, the same diligence that you are pursuing God with when I'm present with you, that's the same diligence you need to pursue God with when I'm not with you. Does that make sense? Um, you know, the old bracelets said, what would Jesus do, Right? Um, those aren't as popular anymore as they were about 15, 20 years ago. Um, but sometimes I want to ask myself, okay, if, if Jesus was sitting in the car with me, would I have responded like that? If Jesus was sitting at the dinner table with me, would I have talked to my wife like that? If, and maybe, maybe we should break it down differently. If your child was with you, would you do that, act like that, be like that? And Paul's saying, you need to have a consistency in your character that you are the same whether anyone is watching or not. You need to pursue God with that same passion and zeal and diligence as if I am right there with you. Now, this next portion of Scripture, uh, this is one that, that we've said a lot in church. and It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and we take that, and a lot of times we isolate that Scripture, and we use it to justify what we want to do. Well... I mean, sin, who knows what sin is? I'm just trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm like, well, there's not a lot of fear and trembling going on. You're just trying to justify what you want to do and how you want to live. We go, oh, you know what? That might be a sin for you, but it's not really a sin for me. I'm just trying to work this thing out, right? And we justify our actions by this passage of Scripture. But that's not what Paul was trying to say at all. In fact, what he's trying to say is that we work out our salvation, not that we are working toward it, because it's not our work that saves us. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross that saves us, that makes us righteous and holy and forgives us of our sins. 
And so he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it's not your work that does it. Because the next part says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, God is working in you. So what do you do? You have to do the work of being obedient. And that is really hard work sometimes, right? I I have to do what God is asking me to do. But I'm not in my own power cleaning myself up or making myself acceptable before God. I'm not working my way to heaven. That Man, if I just show up to church enough, I, I t- lead enough small groups, I show up to enough outreaches, and God's going to owe me and I'm going to get into heaven. That's not how this thing works. But what we have to do is we have to say, I'm going to be obedient to what God's asking me to do so that I can put myself in position for God to work in my life. People say, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't hear from God. Well, have you been praying? Well, no. Well, hello, right? I love it when people say, uh, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get your email. Did you check your email? Well, no, I didn't. That's why you didn't get my email, right? I didn't get your voicemail. Did you check your voicemails? Well, yeah, so you didn't listen to your voicemails. And God is trying to communicate with us. He's trying to to let us know what he wants, but sometimes we don't check our email. We say, God, I want to hear from you, but, man, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to show up to church. I'm not going to be in godly relationship with people around me. I'm not going to do that stuff. And then I'm going to blame you when I don't hear from you. But Paul is saying, be obedient to the things you know you should do, and God will do the work of sanctifying you and making you righteous and holy. Uh, And and I think Paul is saying we need to take it seriously, too, because so many of us, we don't take it seriously. We are, I think a lot of people are really happy to, to go to church and to say a prayer and to just get into heaven by any means necessary. Like, I want to live the, the most fun life I possibly can, and someday if I can make it into heaven, bonus. But that's not what God wants for us. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we need to take the, the idea of holiness and righteousness very seriously. And that's why he's saying we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because we take it very, very, very seriously. In fact, Jesus had something to say about that in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to flip over there, you can. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and, and I'm looking, I think next summer we're going to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, and that we will walk through the entire sermon. That's three chapters of Scripture, and it is a boatload of stuff. I mean, this would be a long series, so I don't know when, when we're going to do it or how we're going to do it, but this is part of that, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ. It's, it's uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It's just a portion of that. This is what he says. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So what Jesus is telling this group of, of hundreds and thousands of people is, I didn't come to planet earth. I didn't show up to, to do away with the law and the prophets or the Old Testament. He said, in fact, I came to fulfill the law. And this is what he says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What he's saying is, Everything that's contained in the Old Testament, in the laws, in the prophetic books, all those things are summed up in me. And he says, I have come that I might fulfill those. Not just the prophetic that says that the Savior is going to come from Bethlehem or that the way he's going to be crucified or those kind of things. But he's saying even the law is fulfilled in me. Because the law points back to who Jesus was, the sacrificial life and death. It points back to a Savior. And Jesus is saying, everything in the Old Testament points back to me, and I am fulfilling that today. I didn't come to, to do away with that stuff. I came to fulfill it. And this is what he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Now, an iota is the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet, and a dot probably refers to uh, the, the small Hebrew letters that, uh, the, the, the note over a Hebrew letter that would make a difference in what it was or what word it was and things like that. So tiny little, 
It was like dotting your I's and crossing your T's. That's kind of the, the, the same um, equivalent of that. He's saying every single little part of the law is important. And he goes on to say this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says. He says every single part of the law is important. Now, in Hebrew law, there were 613 laws. There were 365 thou shalt not. There were 248 thou shalt. And Jesus said, every bit of the law is important from the Old Testament. We don't disregard any of it. Now, we do today because we go, eh, you know what, that doesn't really mean, that's not for today. That doesn't count for today. If God knew knew what we knew, then he wouldn't have even put that in the Bible probably. So we can disregard that and we can shove this aside. But what Jesus is saying to this group of people is every single part of the law is important. Every single word in Scripture is important and valuable. This is what he says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. The word relaxes there. Another way you can translate that is loosens or slackens. And he says, so whoever says, you know what, it's not that big a deal. Eh, don't worry about that. And that's just, that's just for 2,000 years ago. Whoever does that and teaches others to do the same. And some of you are thinking, man, thank God I'm not a preacher because I don't want to teach people, you know. That's a lot of weight. But our lives teach Every single one of us in this room are teaching the people around us what we believe, whether you realize it or not. I can tell my girls, girls, don't act a certain way. Don't drive a certain way. Don't say certain words. But if I say certain words and drive a certain way and act a certain way, what am I telling them? I'm teaching them that it's okay, right? Now, we have a very strict standard on words in our home. my girls, for a long, at least Abby, for a long time thought the S word was stupid. So she would be like, oh my gosh, they said the S word. But she'd, they'd miss the real S word if, you know, somebody said it. Um, and I loved that. Ab, Emma still thinks that way sometimes. But if I said stupid, or if we heard the word stupid and the girls were with me, it'd be like, oh my gosh. Like, especially if one of the pastors said stupid from the stage, it was like, oh my gosh, Right? But then when I said stupid, like Emma's world was crashing down. Like she thought I was backslidden and I, he's not even going to heaven. He's a pastor and he said stupid. How can we reconcile this, right? So what am I saying to her? I'm saying, hey, it's important not to use words like that. But I'm going to use words like that, right? So what am I doing? I'm teaching her. So when we slacken or loosen scripture and say, oh, I'm going to pick and choose what we believe and what we teach. Righteousness and holiness is not that big a deal. We just need to be nice people. Reference. Matthew chapter 5 again here in just a second. So if you've got your thumb there, a bookmark, you can leave it there for a moment. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without the blemish without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Have you ever had a day where your kids, um, and if you don't have kids, just imagine for me, if you will. We've got, you know, 11 and 8-year-old. Abby's going to be 12 next week. Um, So starting to feel the pressure. She went to her first, like, middle school dance this last year, and was like, (gasps) I had heart palpitations, and (sighs) like, okay, I'll be all right, you know, like, we had to work through that, me taking her to the dance and dropping her off, and I, hey, I volunteered. I'll chaperone. I don't mind, and I'll carry my sidearm with me if I need to. I'm cool. Um, (laughs) 
But there's nothing better than them playing all day and not fighting. That's the best. Not just for us that we have a day of peace, but I love that my girls get along and play well. It just it makes me happy. And don't you love it when your kids get along well, when, when your kids consider themselves best friends with each other? Like, that's the best as a parent. And, and this is what, what Paul is saying. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. He said, hey, you know what? You're not always going to get along, but you don't have to fight and grumble and, and be in arguments. He said, you can, can disagree and still love each other. You can, you can come together in unity like we talked about last week. And he said, that you may be blameless and innocent. Not before God, right? This is what he's saying. He's saying when you get along and you love each other, it, it doesn't make you blameless and innocent before God, but this is what it says. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The word um, crooked and wicked generation, it, it harkens back. He uses the exact same phrase that Moses uses in Deuteronomy to describe the children of Israel. When they had left Egypt and things were bad and they were grumbling and complaining, God, you gave us manna again. We're in the desert and we don't have any food and you sent us manna. You're providing for us supernaturally. I can't believe you sent us bread again, God. Okay, God, thanks, thanks for the quail. You're sending us some meat. Meat again, God? You keep sending us meat. Now we all we got is meat and bread. You're providing for us, and all, right? It's like, would you just shut up? And be happy that God is sending you meat and bread. You know, like, I've read that and I'd be like, I know I would be in the exact same place if I was them. I know I would still be griping from my perspective reading scripture. I want to say, just shut up. God's got this thing. You're complaining about meat and bread. But this is what Paul is saying. Hey, don't grumble and complain. God is providing supernaturally. God is taking care. God is still in control. But yet we grumble and we complain like children, and he's saying that's not the way we should act. That's not the way we should live as a twisted and crooked generation. And he says, but if we don't do that, if we live differently than that, we're going to shine as a light in the world. Now, I won't spend a lot of time here. I could, man, I could preach a series on being the light of the world. But there are two things I know about light. Is light is attractive. If you've ever been in a dark room before, what are you doing? Your eyes, your, your pupils dilate. You start looking for light. Your body longs for light because you can't see without light. Your senses are deprived. So you begin looking for light. And when you see that little crack in the door, under the door, you are drawn to that crack. Because what? You want light. Your body craves it because you don't have the whole picture without it. And there's something about being light and darkness in this world that when we are light in this world, people are drawn to us. Now, they might hate you, because of the darkness in their own life. But they're going to be drawn to you because they can't help it. Because they don't have the whole picture. They can't see fully. Their senses are deprived because there is not light in their life. And they're going to be drawn to you when you are light. That's the first thing I see about light. That's the way it should work. The second thing is um, light needs to be more intense in certain environments. I, I am a bed reader you thought I was going to say bed wetter for a second, didn't you? No. Conquered that right after Kim and I got married. We worked that out, and it was good. Um, but I'm a, bed, I'm a bed reader. I like to I get in bed, and, I'll, and my, wife, my wife drives her crazy if the lamp's on. So I'd turn off the lamp, and I'd turn my iPhone light way down to dim, and I'll lay it on my chest, and I'll hold my book right here so it'll block the light. She can't see it, but I can still see. And it's dim. Like, it's 
But if you remember last week, I told you it's, I've got the ghetto curtains on my window, you know, the blankets over, so you, it's dark. I like it dark in my room. I want a cave in my room to sleep at night. So it's dark in my room, but I just need a little bit of light so I can see my book. So I lay in my bed, and I'll read and turn the page, and it is dim. But the next day, I'll wake up, I'll get up, and if I walk outside with that same iPhone set on the same setting, I can't even see the phone. Like, it's like, is this thing even working? And I have to, like, figure out, remember where the buttons are and what to push in order to make the brightness go up. Because in the darkness, that dim setting on my phone works perfectly. I can see exactly what I need to see. But when I get into the light, all of a sudden, I've got to up that game a little bit. I've got to say, okay, I've got to turn to max brightness so that I can see my phone. Now, the illustration, hopefully it connects this way, that when we are new Christians, sometimes we say, man, I, I'm not even qualified. The people in my office are so lost that none of them are, have a relationship with God. They, I mean, I'm not, but I'm not qualified. Who am I? You know what? In the dark, all you need is just a little bit of light. All you need is just a candle, and it's going to illuminate that whole room. But as those people begin to know Jesus, and they begin to grow in their walk, and more light begins to enter that place, guess what? You better up your game. Because the brightness you had before is not going to be enough for tomorrow. You're going to need a little more brightness. You're going to need a little more light in your life in order to illuminate the same space down the road. It's not going to be enough to say, this is who I am, and I'm just going to do the best I can, and someday maybe I'll just get to heaven. God wants you to grow in your walk so he can help your your luminosity grow, that he can help you be a luminous being in the areas in your world. Light up the darkness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it's right before the passage I read earlier. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in, uh, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and gl- give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, did you see what it said? It said, let your light shine before men, and when they see it, they're going to give you the glory because you are awesome. No. It says they're going to see it, and they're going to say, did you see what they're doing? Did you see how many pair of underwear they're giving to the kids that need it in Indiana? Did you see how many school supplies that church gave? Man, there must be something different about their God. God is good. Man, that person, they, they paid for my meal, and they don't even know me. They, they bought my coffee. They were in front of They bought my coffee. I can't even believe that. Wow, there's something different there. God will get glory for it whenever we do what God's asking us to do. And one of the other things about light is... Um, I'm, I'm a science nerd. I love watching Discovery Channel. I love science and, and public television and all those kind of things. It drives my wife crazy. Just like, like when she's got the controller, it's Hallmark. When I got the controller, it's going to be, you know, like some documentary about wolves or it's going to be like, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates because I'm such a big Pirates fan. And so, um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it's different worlds here. But I love watching things that are involved in science and nature and the universe and one of the things I know and that I've talked to the girls about is that our sun produces light, but the moon reflects light. And in our world, spiritually, we are the moon. There is no light that is being produced by me. I am not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. There's nothing about me that it produces light. But if I position myself well, I can reflect the light that Jesus produces to the people around me. We aren't called to produce light. We're called to reflect light, the light of Jesus, into this world. 
That's what God's asking us to do. It's to be reflective of who he is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. <laughs> As I was telling you to turn there, can I deviate just a second? I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm going to. Um, that's dangerous. We might have to edit this out later. Um, there's a guy, his name's Peter Haas. He's a pastor in Minnesota, and he wrote a book called Pharisectomy. And I, I don't know if we have that in the bookstore or not, but it's a great book. I've read it. But um, I read this week that he said, if you're not satisfied with your walk with Jesus, maybe you need to take off your bib and put on an apron. I didn't say that. He did. So if you're angry about that statement, email Peter Haas. I can't believe he would even say that. Um, but sometimes we get so dissatisfied with where we're at, we, we say, God, I want to reflect light. I want to live a life of difference, but I need somebody to feed me. I, I want to be served. I want to be taken care of. I want to consume, but you don't want to produce or help or serve. And that might be the difference in your walk with Christ. I don't know if I'll say that in the next service or not. We'll see. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life. And this, when it says holding fast, um, it has this connotation that we cling to it. It's like the kung fu death grip. We are not letting it go. Why? Because we take it very seriously and we understand the power that it has in our life. Holding fast to the word of life so that in, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in, in, in vain or labor in vain. It's, and, and Paul is saying here, uh, I want you to, to cling to Jesus, cling to the word so tightly that it's, it's being evidenced in you, that there's fruit in you, so that when the day comes, when, when we're before the great white throne of judgment and our works are being judged, he says, I'm not going to be disappointed because I know that the work I put in produced good fruit. I, I can't imagine anything more disappointing than, than someday as a father finding out my girls don't have a relationship with Jesus, and finding out that they have rejected God. Why? Because no matter how many churches we plant, no matter how big a church, no matter how many people are saved, no matter what happens, if my family doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, it's all for naught. It doesn't matter how much we've done. And this is what Paul's saying. These are his spiritual children. And he says, you know what? Um, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to grow in your walk with God because someday I don't want to look back and go, what was the point? Why, why did I even bother? I wasted all that time. And he said, I don't want you to live that way. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. So he says, even if I die for teaching what I've taught, even if, even if that happens, he says, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. He says, even if I die for what I've taught and the faith I believe in and, and the things I've lived out, it's for you. And I'm going to rejoice in that. Can you imagine saying, if, if I die, I'm going to rejoice. This is where Paul's at. And he says, if I die for this, I'm going to rejoice in it. And you should rejoice in it too. And this is what he tells the church at Philippi. He, he drives this point home and he tells them, I love you. I'm passionate about you, but I love you too much to let you stay where you're at. I want you to grow in your faith and grow in your passion for God and grow in, in your desire for him. And if you don't, and if this is all for naught, then it's all in vain. And he said, but you know what? If you grow in your faith, if you become what God wants you to become, 
And even if I die, it's worth it because God's fulfilling his purpose and plan for you. I love the passion that Paul has. I love how he walks through this. And again, when you look at the book of Philippians, a lot of times you would think that he's bringing correction, but he's not. He loves these people desperately. But he still tells them, hey, it's not enough that you're just good. It's not enough that you're just getting by. You have to be light in darkness. You have to take your righteousness and holiness very seriously because God does. And he's challenging them to grow, to be more, to not be satisfied. And that's where we're at today. There are churches all across our country that people come in and they leave and they're not any different, that they're pacified for an hour or or an hour and 15 minutes, whatever the case might be, and then they leave and their lives aren't changed and the worlds they live in aren't changed. But if we want to be light in the world we live in, it's going to demand something from us. Not that we work for it, but that we position ourselves so that God can work in us. And that's the challenge for us today, and that's the challenge for you today. What do you need to do in your life to position yourself better so that God can work in your life the way he's asking you to work? I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team. Come on up, guys. I'm going to ask you in this room, everybody in this place, just bow your head and close your eyes. God, I pray that over the next couple minutes you just minister in this place, that you'd soften our hearts. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit begin to minister right now. Let us receive and let us respond in a way that will glorify you. Now, with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what, that's me. What you're talking about is me exactly. Maybe you had a religious experience at some point. Maybe you were raised in a church, but you know you did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know you never really walked with him. And today you say, you know what, I want to make some things right with God. I want to become not just not just a Christian, but I want to know Jesus. I want to have a relationship there. And I want to start and begin that relationship today. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and let me pray for you, wherever you might be? Thank you. Who else? Up there on the balcony? I see you, ma'am. A couple of hands up there. Thank you. Awesome. Who else? Over here on my right, back there, next to the last row, ma'am. Thank you. Who else? Over here on my left. Thank you. Several hands. Okay. Anybody else? Just a few more seconds. Yeah, that's me, Mel. I need to begin a walk with Christ or I need to restart a walk with Christ I'm away from him okay I want everybody in the room to repeat this prayer after me and I want you to say it out loud like you mean it dear Jesus thank you for loving me I love you and I thank you for saving me I commit to give you my best to walk in relationship with you this is not about religion but it's about knowing you I turn away from my old life and I'm going to give you my best. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. I'm going to live my life for you. In Jesus' name. Now, I also want to ask you to do this. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed if you're here, but you say, I'm a Christian. The man, Mel, I've just been going through the motions and I want to be a light in the darkness. I don't want to just make it to heaven someday. I want to illuminate my world. I need to position myself differently so that God can work in my life. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you just say, I need prayer for that, I need help with that, would you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me? I need to be a light in the dark, and I'm not. Thank you. Yeah, hands all over the place. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, I just want to pray for you. Pray with you. And I just want you to agree with me that as God begins to work individually in our lives to help us be light corporately, we're going to be a light 
not just in our city, but in our region, that Southwest Pennsylvania is gonna be changed because of this church, that this nation can be changed because of what happens here. But it's gonna begin with you, it's gonna begin with me. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the people that said, I need help being light in the darkness. God, I pray right now you would let the Holy Spirit come alongside them and encourage them. Lord, reveal areas of their lives that need to be changed, that they need to submit to you. God, I pray that you would help us not be satisfied until we get there. Lord, let us not be satisfied with just getting by, but God, let us give everything to you. Let us hold nothing back. And I pray as we do, Lord, you'd work in our lives, you'd chip off the rough edges, and you'd begin to shine a bright light through us.